G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Robert Shaw. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the round six review, or should I say part round six review, because as I said last week, this is a weekend review show. So still two games to finish round six. They are big games, of course. Hawthorne taking on Sydney down in Tassie and the big annual Anzac Day clash between the Bombers and the Magpies. Don't worry, you will get both those games reviewed in complete detail in our midweek show. But seven games in a big Anzac round already played. We're here to uh, to review them. And of course, this podcast always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Get tackle-busting benefits this AFL season. Thanks to Palmerbet. Always remember... To gamble responsibly, as I say, very good evening to my co-host, Robert Shaw. How are you going, Shorey? Yeah. Um, how are you, Rowan? I'm very good, thank you. And um, it wasn't a great round. It was uh, but um, an interesting round. And, uh, look, I'm delighted with the form of uh, three sides that uh, we sort of thought they were all around the same sort of area. Fremantle a second. St Kilda a fourth, Carlton a seventh, and the Crows, believe it or not, uh, justifiably a ninth with uh, three wins. So there's some real emerging stuff going on here. There is uh, definitely a different look about the top of the ladder. However, one team remaining out in front, the only undefeated side, they've just clocked up 13 wins on the trot. Speaking, of course, about the reigning Premier Melbourne, who had a good Anzac Day Eve win over Richmond, which we will uh, get to a little bit later on. Uh, yep, ladder looks a bit different. Let's see if it stays it that does. way about a quarter of the way through the season. Okay, we kicked off on Friday evening. Let's get into it. On Footyology, wrap around. Well, round six kicked off in Canberra on Friday evening. Marnica Oval, the venue, the game, Greater Western Sydney up against St Kilda. And it was victory to the Saints, a fifth straight win, in fact, for the Saints. First time they've won five games on end since 2011, believe it or not, uh, back in the Ross Lyon days. So a long time between drinks, but they've certainly started this season well. This is a hard-fought win. It was a real grind of a game, as uh, football in Canberra often seems to be, i got to say. But 17 points, the margin in the end. The final score, St Kilda, 10-17, 77, defeating GWS, 8-12-60. The goals, four to Jack Higgins. Hasn't he got off to a great start this season? Little Terrier as a small forward. Two to Brad Crouch, singles the rest, and for the Giants, two to Flynn, two to Ward, singles the rest. 
Uh, some bad news, though, for the Saints, unfortunately. Jack Hayes, who uh, has, has been terrific for them since coming aboard as a late pickup from um, Woodville West Torrance in SA. He, unfortunately, has done his ACL. Will miss the rest of the season. The silver lining in that cloud is that the uh, Saints, to their credit, have immediately moved to sign him up on a contract for next year just to give him the reassurance about his future. So uh, that's pretty good. I guess the other talking point, we'll get to this after if at all, but uh, more umpire descent stuff with uh, St Kilda's Daniel McKenzie pointing to the ground when his opponent was paid a mark that, well, had hit the ground. That was interpreted as descent. He was penalised. 50 metres. I made the mistake of uh, tweeting about that and then spent the rest of the evening in fierce debate with people about what constitutes dissent. I hope we're not talking about it all season, but boy, oh boy, that was pretty rough on Daniel McKenzie, I thought. However, I digress because the key takeaway from this is five wins on end to the Saints. And like most of the others in this sequence, Rob, uh, really solid, resilient stuff from Brett Ratton's team. Well, and and that's the big tick. They they may well make the finals this year, and they'll look back at these type. These are the type of games that uh, are like gold, Rowan. Um, there's no doubt about that. I thought, you know, I think we both picked St Kilda, but I thought with Coniglio, Ward, Taranto, Kelly, Tommy Green, Whitfield, and the Emer- and and Toby Green coming back. This was a really important and a good chance for GWS. Um, but they're just really challenged to score. We, we just have sung the praises of St Kilda's versatility. And there, there's a constant theme starting to filter through AFL that these multi-dimensional forward lines um, are the way to go. You cannot just rely. So St Kilda options... There was a great battle head-to-head between Ward and Steele. They both didn't take a step backwards. And, of course, out of adversity came a hero. And that hero was one of the most improved players in the competition. He ended up having to ruck. He didn't get a tap. He didn't look like getting a tap because uh, GWS won the hitouts 77-19. to 19. Uh, But I think Josh Battle was a real hero. Ten marks and just showed... He can play forward, he can go back, throw him into the ruck. So um, this is a wonderful win by St Kilda. Wonderful. He has to be a hero, doesn't he, with that, that name? Like he could. <laughs> wouldn't you he feel... Went, you'd he feel went a, into battle. Well, you'd, no, but you'd feel obliged to be that sort of player, wouldn't you, with a name like that? But I, I agree, he's a, he's, uh, he's a real warrior for them. And, uh, uh, well, you know, they've got several players like that too, haven't they? I mean, uh, Callum Wilkie's another one. You know, those guys without much of a fanfare or reputation or a, a noteworthy background, and they've sort of picked them up through various uh, ac- means of acquisition, you yeah. know, mid- mid-season drafts and supplementary picks. You know, Hayes is one of them, et cetera, et cetera. And they've all sort of contributed something. And that's the thing, I think. You know, two years ago when St Kilda made finals, we were talking about the influx of players from other clubs and they had five of them and they all did well. Last year, they went for a few more. It was a bust. And we said, oh, no, they've, they've, they've overshot the mark. They're going to be like Brisbane in 2010. But I think these sort of, not journeymen, but these sort of, uh, you know, blue-collar types have served them pretty well, which is sort of ironic because when you mentioned GWS, 
These days when you mention GWS, I tend to think blue collar. I think they have a bit of a shortage of out and out class in complete contrast to their Ferrari days of, you know, 2016, 2017. And I thought that stood out in this game too. Just too many errors for them and couldn't capitalise on their opportunities going well, forward. You're right, mate. They won, the, they won the disposals. They won the clearances clearly. They dominated the hitouts. They won the contested possession by 20. And, and generally, those sort of things add up to a good solid win. They only took mark, six marks inside 50. So there's a serious dysfunction between, I think they've got a really talented midfield when I read out their names. So there's a real dysfunction either in skill, in personnel and setup, or distribution of the ball going forward. What do we think of uh, Toby Green's comeback? Uh, he finished with 14 disposals, uh, kicked 1-2 from four shots at goal. No, that was okay. That was yeah. good. Yeah. He got picked up by Webster and these blokes back there. They've got some really good matchups for him. He had a bit of a go in the centre bounce. Um, that's a solid start after what six games out. So um, if you you know, it was watching the game, it uh, it was a little bit embarrassing. You've got to promote it. The Toby Green return. I reckon they mentioned every thirty seconds, but it came down to the way the St Kilda team handled him I thought that they did a really effective job on him but he's got a run under his belt and he was far from the worst player on the ground I gave I, him a tick in his comeback game I mentioned uh, Jack Higgins uh, clearly the star oh. of the show kick four probably should have had at least six um, 17 disposals nine marks yeah he missed a couple of you know close to sitters really so he probably should have had half a dozen but uh, he combines well with uh, the tall timber up forward and, of, and combines well with Jade Gresham. So that's a real yes. headache. Yes. A real headache. Hey, Rowan, just in, just interjecting. Sorry, mate. Um, does it come with a script that you have to be annoying prick to be a small <laughs> forward pocket, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, I love Milne. Yeah. But has he handballed the baton to, uh, to uh, Jack young Higgins? Higgins? And, uh, um, don't forget Hayden Ballantyne. Hayden Ballantyne. Yeah. But and, then, um, then again, what, what about Eddie Betts? Eddie, everyone loves Eddie Betts. Well, Eddie, Eddie was a bit low-key. He just let his footy <laughs> do it. And they like talking themselves up, don't they? The yeah. uh, Cody Waitman from the Dogs, yeah. he, had a, he had a big week. He was keen on himself. Yeah. Good on him, but uh, he didn't back it up. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, he, uh, Max King's been terrific for him. He had a... Uh, okay. uh, one, one of those, well, nearly nights. He's ended up with uh, one seven, seven. <laughs> from 11 uh, touches. He'd kick five behinds before he finally broke the duck in the uh, third quarter. So he'll have better nights than that. But I think uh, we, we both agree there's a, a real uh, solidity about St Kilda's performances this season, which all goes well uh, mate, for the rest of the year. When was the last time you used that word? Solidity. Yes. In relation the, to St Kilda? The Solidity Saints. Oh, well, you know, well, back to Ross Lyon, really. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think they've got a, a few more strings to the bow than Ross Lyon's team. So, uh, yeah, look, uh, Org as well. And um, certainly, you know, back in that sort of uh, form line they're in in 2020. So uh, upwards and onwards for the Saints. They are 5-1 and one and uh, going terrific guns. GWS, not so well. Well, GWS travel to the Adelaide Oval. Mm. And may I say it, against one of the form teams of the competition, 
Yeah. And it's not Port Adelaide. And uh, on the other hand, the Saints are at... Uh, Five and one. CS. Where's CS, for goodness <laughs> sake? Is that Cairns? Kazawi uh, Stadium is Cairns, yes. Oh, the Saints are off to Cairns now to play yes. Port Adelaide. Yes. All right, no worries. Okay, um, that is Friday night, done and dusted. Let's talk about Saturday. First game on the Saturday menu was on Mars. Oh, that joke never gets old. At Mars Stadium, Ballarat, in fact. Probably as windswept as Mars. It's, uh, it's hard to get decent, coherent football happening up there sometimes. But uh, it was a... Hard-fought game. It was a low-scoring game, but, boy, was it a thriller in the finish. Close all day, this was, and full credit to Adelaide uh, emerging with a one-point win, certainly in terms of uh, scores. I think most would agree, and I think, in fact, Luke Beveridge did agree the Crows deserved winners. One point over the Doggies in a thriller. The final scores, Adelaide, 8-15, 63 defeating the Western Bulldogs 9-8-62. The goal kickers for the Crows, three to Tex Walker. He was very solid for them up forward. Two to McAdam, singles arrest, and for the Doggies, two to Norton, two to Trelaw, two to Shacky. Singles, the rest. Well, it's one of those games, Rob, where uh, apart from the first quarter, Adelaide statistically... I think tended to dominate the uh, the more important statistical mm. categories, but just couldn't uh, convert. And how often have we seen that this year? But just to give you an idea, they were plus fifteen for inside fifties. Uh, they almost doubled the Bulldogs for hitouts. Of course, the Bulldogs without Tim English, and that made life pretty tough for Stephen Martin and Zane Cordy, his support act. Uh, Doggies on the clearances. Uh, but Mark's inside 50, good indicator of the dangerousness of either forward setup. And that was 16-8 to Adelaide, yeah. pretty significant. They had terrific players uh, in the middle of the ground uh, vis-a-vis. <laughs> always going to say Terry Keys, Ben Keys, fantastic for the Crows with 33 touches. Rory Laird, a prolific possession winner. He had 30. Uh, Matt Crouch, very solid too, 25. Down back though. Billy Frampton, Rob. Frampton comes alive. He certainly has. <laughs> That's never going to get old, that one. And those no, of our it's vintage, not. And, uh, <laughs> those of our vintage will remember I just hope we've got the audience that knows what we're talking about. Well, because, I'm, I'm uh, going to explain it. Because Jim, Jim Key's got to mention too. <laughs> yeah, correct. Uh, Frampton is showing us the way. Uh, <laughs> you like that one? That was the yeah. hit single off that double album, Frampton Comes Alive. <laughs> Show me the way. 1976 is the vintage you're looking for, proving how old both of us are. Anyway, Billy Frampton, uh, terrific game in defence. Um, picked up a decent swagger touches too, 26. But look, it was tough going as a game. Plenty of mistakes made. Like I said, the gusty conditions didn't help. Uh, I must say, I sort of expected the Bulldogs to end up just sort of conjuring a win. But full credit to the Crows. They absolutely deserve this and uh, hung on and, and got the points and they were uh, justifiably absolutely wrapped when the siren went wrong. Yeah, they've given uh, young players a chance. It's a great lesson. And he's not only giving them a chance, he's putting them in positions of responsibility. That's really important. Um, you mentioned Laird, Crouch, Keys and Berry. 
they had a really good tactic. They pushed their blokes up. They outnumbered um, Western Bulldogs at stoppages. Uh, I don't think we we lauded the move of Bontempelli forward. I think last week to add another dimension to a basically Norton-led forward line, but this week he um, he left the move too late, and he should have moved Bontempelli back into the midfield to mix mix it with these blokes. Um, we mentioned two small forwards in the in the the other game, McHenry and Rochelle are just as dangerous. No, no, they're not just as dangerous, but they're potentially really dangerous given the fact that you've got Walker. And don't forget, Himmelberg didn't get a touch, mate. Mm. Zero, zero. And, and we're really... It's, it's an interesting discussion because of the incident is seen at the major end of... Um, of an offence by Walker. Um, but w- when do you come out of that? W- when is the forgiving process? He- he's obviously doing it on the field to pay back his club and his team. But as you know, the forum that we engage in quite regularly, Rowan, is pretty unforgiving and in some ways rightly so. But um, he's been sensational. He's kicked 12-3. Uh, since his return and really led that team. So I hope he's getting a few credits back in the bank. Yeah, well, he certainly is through his football. I mean, I, they're two distinct issues. And, yeah. and, and uh, you know, you can't sort of blend one into another. And I, I think actually to sort of, you know, meld one into the other sort of does a disservice to how important an issue that is. But, you know, that's a that's a broader discussion. But look, no problems at all with footy and and gee you want a, an ice cool finish in the crisis that uh the goal that sealed the win what a fantastic composed shot that was from a very very tight angle with just two minutes left of course Marcus Bondapelli snapped one brought it back to uh the margin back to a point and then a bit of controversy at the end Rob seven seconds to go and a recall bounce which uh soaked up another two seconds and probably look you're pretty doubtful you're going to get a goal with seven seconds left, but uh, it's one certain... kick, isn't it? It's yeah. one kick yeah. and a mark inside 50. Um, My point is you're certainly not going to get one with five seconds left. And that recall bounce cost an extra two seconds. I think there is an argument that the clock should be reset for a recall bounce. Do you have any strong oh, Not an argument. That? It's, um, you know, it's caught them with their strides down a little bit and it's taken time off the clock in an even game. So, Reset and let's do it properly. Let's do it fairly. Well, don't forget it was only it was only till oh uh, was it ten years ago or, or thereabouts? I think um, uh, time continued to tick after the umpires had called for a ball up because the calling of the ball up they then had to blow time off, whereas then it started happening automatically. So you know, it's, was yeah, that the Fremantle St Kilda Siren Gate? Oh, no. I mean, it was happening. I think it was happening after that. I mean, okay. like, for example, the 1989 grand final, final bounce, I think there's 23 seconds left on the clock. Uh, it's a stacks on the mill and they have a secondary bounce and that basically soaks up the remaining 15 yeah. seconds, you know, so that can't happen now, but every second can be precious is the point. Um, look, credit, I mentioned uh, Billy Frampton, but he's, he wasn't the only great Adelaide defender. Tom Duday, he's a, a real leader for him down there. Jordan Butso, 
you know, unheralded, but I think he's been really good value for them. I know I've said this a bit this year, but I really like Adelaide's redevelopment under Knicks. You know, they've gone from three wins to seven wins. I think they can realistically at the moment look at nine or or 10 wins this season. And you know, yeah. those players are improving. And there's a whole clutch of them. I mean, you know, we're talking about Shoal. We're talking about McHenry. We're talking about McAdam. Uh, your boy, Luke Gallant, he's really come to the fore this season. Himmelberg's jumped up another level this season. You know, there's there's quite a lot of them. And they're all, I think, progressing in the right direction. So well done, Matthew Nix. It's been a steady build, not spectacular, but steady. And I think we're really seeing the benefits Conversely, when I ask you about the Bulldogs, I, I mean, they're my premiership tip, but gee, I mean, they, you know, they've done it the hard well, way before, but I think midf- you're in trouble. Well, their midfield's struggling. Um, Apart forward- from Liberatore, who was magnificent, he had 33 nine tackles and 10 clearances, basically playing them on, him, on his own, and, and they just outnumbered them. And the worrying thing is only 43 inside 50s for the Dogs. On a ground that's not a huge ground, they've and they've got real problems. And I know it's difficult because I played in that role. They've got real problems controlling power forwards of the opposition. We've said once it gets in, they're in real trouble. They still haven't got Alex Keith. They've got a game next week against Essendon where Peter Wright's got hold of them in dry conditions. Um, so that's going to be a very very interesting game next week for the doggies. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think the def- no, no, no. <laughs> we can both say it. that the defence is becoming a real issue. I think the forward line's becoming a bit of an issue too. I mean, you've got the names look good, you know, Norton, Hugel Hagen, Shacky. But, you know, Shacky, we know he's a hit or miss. Hugel Hagen, he's just, he's not imposing himself on games. And I don't think Norton can carry the load. And Cody Waitman is a bit in and out. So uh, they've got a lot of work to do, the doggies, if, uh, if they're going to, Certainly, if they're going to be in a position of strength. Well, we, we know why Bontempelli, but you've really got to use him, I think, in a horses for courses. If you're getting outnumbered and outbodied and outcontested in the middle of the ground or relying on Libba, sometimes you have to throw that one back in the middle and give them a bit of a chop out. But, yep, c- kicking goals and controlling goals at the other end, Rowan. So um, interesting times ahead for the dogs. Yeah, two and four they are. And uh, next Sunday, they have got Essendon at Marvel Stadium. Adelaide have got GWS next weekend at home. That is a Saturday afternoon game. All right, that was the first on the Saturday card. The second one was a twilight game in Adelaide. Twilight at Adelaide Oval brought together Port Adelaide and West Coast. And boy, having these two had some epic and incredibly close battles in recent times. Of course, two of them in Adelaide decided after the siren won a final, no less. Well, this certainly wasn't one of them. This was a shocker, incredibly one-sided and incredibly one-sided in the Port Adelaide direction. The power finally breaking the ice for their first victory of the season. And a big victory it was too. The final scores, 18-9, 117 the power. West Coast, a miserable 4-9-33. Three of those goals coming in junk time. In fact, the Eagles at three-quarter time, just one goal, eight, and in line to break their lowest ever score. Of course, famously, Rob, registered against Essendon at Windy Hill in 1989. 
first yeah. first quarter was yeah, tie the on. windsock down game. Uh, no, no, that no? was uh, nineteen ninety one, and that was in fact game one by the Eagles. No, <laughs> this was when John Todd was coaching, and uh, they were a bit of a basket case. Right, first quarter was even, and then it was all over at halftime because in the second term, Port slammed on seven goals three as they rediscovered their mojo, and the Eagles could add just two behinds. The goal kickers in the finish for Port: Finlayson five, Marshall five. Uh, twin Towers contributing 10 between them. Singles the rest, all singles for West Coast. Uh, Connor Rosey, terrific for the power, and uh, he was the winner of the, uh, no disrespect intended, but whatever medal they label that. Uh, Todd Marshall, another decent goal haul from him. Ollie Wines back in the side after that heart issue and uh, just going back to being... Ollie Wines, they have winners all over the place. Travis Spoke, terrific. Dan Houston, terrific. So the midfield right on top. Carl Amon, who'd been dropped, was a late inclusion. He played well as well. Uh, on the downside, injuries to Robbie Gray, a knee and a lear, a lear ankle. Now, is that, well, wait and see on both of them, I guess, but is that going to sort of plunge them back into this lack of depth area where they just can't cover those injuries? We will wait and see. For the Eagles... Just a miserable, miserable afternoon. Boy, the last two weeks, ironically, in fact, since they brought some of the bigger names back, have been terrible for them. Uh, boy, they want to uh, turn things around. Otherwise, it's going to be a really, really long season. This is going to be pretty short and sharp, Rowan. Um, incredible stats from Port Adelaide in key areas that weren't, weren't even... The, the Eagles weren't even competitive in this area. Port had 28 tackles inside their 50. That is just amazing stat and showed them they were switched on to apply pressure in the critical areas. West Coast had three. They had 19 marks inside their 50 metres. So at both ends of the arc, they were dominant. And then you mentioned Rosie, um, Boak and Wines dominating the midfield. West Coast, a little bit unlucky. Not unlucky. Um, they lost Yo to concussion but can only muster 34 inside 50s. Port dominated the clearances, 45 to 33. They won 16 to 5 centre clearance, and they had a, nearly 150 to 113 contested possessions. Pretty clear analysis on this game. Uh, Port, are they back to their best? No, that was a really important reminder of, and gave them a lot of confidence going ahead now. Let's talk about the Eagles because, uh, you know, it's easy to jump to conclusions. And, of course, you want your, your senior experienced and, and uh, most decorated players back in the lineup. But there's no doubt to me that the effort or, or something has gone missing in the last two weeks since the return of Kelly, Yo, and Shuey, all of whom uh, continue to struggle. Shuey wasn't too bad, I felt, but... Something is missing, and as a team, they've really lacked in the last fortnight that sort of zest and enthusiasm with which they approached the opening to the season with a lot of unheralded players. And uh, a bit Collingwood in Melbourne. Yeah, well, it's a bit reminiscent to me of say like Essendon in 2016 when they had you know fielded the top ups. Essendon got you know smashed in most games that year, but they did. They really you couldn't question the effort. I think you can question the Eagles' effort over the last couple of weeks, and it's a real shame after they'd really hung tough 
over that first month of a season? Like, where do they go from here? Are these guys, uh, when they get, get more miles in their legs, are the performances going to improve? Or is this a side now that's sort of caught betwixt and between? They know that their days as a, a power are over. Are these older players now just sort of seeing our time? Are we in this awkward sort of transitional phase where there's enough veterans still there, but they realistically know they're not going to be part of another assault on the premiership? These are some, these are and, some and of the Hang on, wait, wait, just right. let me finish the point, which is what does Adam Simpson do here? It's tough for him because you want to play the names, but for the betterment of the club, you, there's an argument you'd be better off playing those more inexperienced players more often. Well, against the Collingwood team, um, they had O'Neill, C. West, H. Dixon, B. Ho, L. Edwards. Um, they had P. Nash, Z. Langdon, L. Foley. Have any I, of those guys got first names? Or <laughs> just... No, I don't know their names. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's what I mean. Yeah. I'm being quite deliberately smart here. They won with a legitimate, no Shuey, no Yo, no um, Kelly. Yeah. And they won against, I'm just looking at the team now, Penderbury, Howe, Maynard, Sidebottom, Chris Dacos, Hoskin Elliott, Ginevan Elliott, Mychek. That You know, they've won by a comfortable two goals mm. three weeks ago, Rowan. Mm. And mm. your point I don't know how to answer it, but the main change has been the return of big name players. So you can, folks, you can read of that what you like, because I don't know half their team that beat Collingwood. All right. Well, uh, Port uh, certainly rediscovered some decent form in uh, the last one and a half games, of course, from half time against Carlton after being 50 points down, almost pulled that one out of the bag and then carrying that form on against West Coast. It does tend to back up what Ken Hinckley was saying. I mean, you have a look at the ladder as we speak. Only two games out of the eight. You know, we saw Sydney. I think Sydney lost their first six games in 2017 and made finals. It doesn't happen very often, but it's not impossible. So let's see how they go. Of course, like I said, injuries. will be a very anxious watch on the fitness of Aaliyah and Gray over the next few days. Who Port got next week? Well, it's pretty tough. They got St Kilda and that one up at Kazali's Stadium. As for the Eagles, well, they kick off next round Friday night in Perth up against Richmond, but uh, really tough going for the Eagles at right. the moment. That is the Saturday Twilight game. The Saturday evening game was in fact, over in the same place, in Perth. Fremantle's impressive start to 2022 continues. The Dockers accounting very comfortably in the end for Carlton by 35 points at Optus Stadium. The final scores, Fremantle 14-13-97, defeating the Blues 9-8-62. The goal kickers for the Dockers, three to lob, Three to Schultz, two to Walters, two to Switkowski, four Carlton, three to Patrick Cripps, two to Charlie Curnow, singles the rest. Well, the Blues led at quarter time, but from there, the Dockers really took over. 
uh, particularly in the second and third quarters where they added a total of 10-5 over those two terms to the Blues. 4-5 midfield really getting on top and massively on top in the ruck where unfortunately for the Blues, Mark Pitnett was injured early yeah. in the game. That really cost him, uh, left uh, Tom, I almost said Terry, Tom DeConing up in the ruck against Mark Pitnett. The hitouts in the end finished 49 to 20, Freo's favour. They had far more opportunities to score to the final inside 50 count, 56 to just oh. 38 in Fremantle's direction. But good uh, example of uh, a more potent looking forward set up those days, Rob. Uh, Rory Lobb. Uh, good up forward as a key target, but their little guys did very well. Three to Lockie Schultz, two to Walters. Important game from him. He was in pretty good form. Best game I reckon he might have played for a bit. And uh, two to Switkowski as well. Brennan Cox, great again in defence. Midfield, uh, Andrew Brayshaw just having a terrific season. But Will Brody, he has been a terrific pickup from the Suns and all going well for the Dockers, Rob. Will Brody, six foot three, 195 pounds in the old scale. I think that's called a big body midfielder. Yep. So um, it was basically, <clears throat> um, excuse me, it was basically a giveaway. It was incredible that they've picked him up and other clubs, in, including our club, have, have, have just let it go through to the keeper, literally. Um, we haven't had anyone that big in the midfield since Joe Watson, but that's for another time. I want to ask you something about Walsh had 36, Sarah 32, Cripps 32, Doherty 32, Hewitt 32, Rowan. Now, you mentioned the stat for 38 inside 50s. What's going on here? Where's this efficient, quick, direct Carlton side that we've seen? Or is this a testimony? It's so hard to see on TV. I was getting awfully frustrated. That's a domination in stats, but we don't see the way that Fremantle set up through the through the back line and how they create turnovers and intercepts. Those stats uh, are what you dream about, but to come up with 38 possessions and, and, and nothing for that effort is, is an incredible performance by Fremantle. Um, Alex Pierce, none for Wright, and now one for Mackay. So... What a, what a player he is. And and once again, we've got this team. You've mentioned Cox, Schultz, Logue, O'Dristal, Fredericks. Just another team that is prepared to bite the bullet and play young players or give players opportunities. Brody comes in. Carlton had no Silvani and no Kennedy. So, you know, they had a couple of key players or important players out. But that possession rate is uh, Carlton won the possession, the clearances and the tackles and they were levelling contested ball. Well, They got beaten by what? Five, six goals. 35 points. Yeah. I think uh, in, Let, answer, work that out. in answer to that initial question of yours, I think um, a pretty good comment on Fremantle's defensive systems. And uh, under Justin Longmuir, that's clearly been the focus. It's funny because I remember when he started as coach, there was a lot of talk about how they were going to be a more positive side and more attacking and more aggressive. I didn't really see it. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure I see that much evidence of it now, but they are a better running team. I don't think there's much question of that. In fact, 
I can't remember who observed this, but I think uh, someone was talking about how several opponents of theirs this year have commented on being surprised by the amount of run in that side. Um, and so, pace, and yeah, pace. and look, when you talk yeah. about run, not not just pace, but just endurance too. And a guy like Blake Akers, he's a, a good example. You know, he's been on the Frio scene for a while now, but they've just got plenty of guys who can do a fair bit of running, and uh, that's served them pretty well. Their defence, uh, the defensive six, is pretty solid, and they're a bit more potent up forward. Good sign too that um, Tabiner has only contributed the one this week rather than seven, and yet they've still managed 27 scores. So, Well, he's uh, got his Essendon game out of the way, hasn't he? Yes, uh, he's uh, Essendon, the ritual confidence booster for Matt Tabiner, but uh, plenty of options and would be pretty happy about that. What about the Blues? Well, I, I guess... I'm, you know, not, I'm not that concerned. Okay, well, I just want to ask you this. Yeah. The, the, they've had that uh, advantage in disposals uh, for 38 inside 50s, is there a lack of smarts about the way they play their footy or a lack of a plan B? It was certainly a breakdown in their system in getting through. Like they've got Kerno and um, Mackay. The number of times they had to come up looking for the ball, Rowan, instead of the ball being put to them in dangerous areas. Kerno took a lot of marks up around the wing. Um, Mackay was had to take pierce up the ground to find a kick. It was lack of penetration. Their system broke down for a couple of reasons, probably a little bit of indirect play, overuse, but I'm, I'm with you entirely. We, we, we are assuming, because we can't actually see it on TV, we're assuming we're going to give a big tick to the system of intercept and defensive organisation back of centre by Fremantle. I think they're one of the best teams in the competition at it. Intercept, rebound, and use that endurance and that pace that they've got. So I think it's a great learning experience. It's five goals. It's not the end of the world. Um, but given the, the lopsided nature of the top six position winners, Carlton have to go back to the drawing board and have a good look at the reasons why. Well, I'll put, put this one to you about Fremantle because... I'll be honest here. I have trouble looking at them and seeing them as a bona fide sort of top four, or even top two side worthy of being in the same company as, as Melbourne or perhaps even Brisbane. Now that might be unfair. Maybe it's a comment on the competition this year. I must admit, I think to a sim, uh, to an extent, I, I feel similarly at the moment about St Kilda. Uh, are you prepared to accept at this stage of a season that Freo are, uh, well, they're second on the ladder. Are they a, a bona fide second place team, do you think? Well, not quite because it's only round six. But I tell you what, if these sort of numbers add up in round 12 where you get a, a real strong indication, like if they go four and two the next two games, it's all over. They're pushing for the top four. Um, uh, one proviso... I would love to see Fife in this team get a really good run at it. I'm not sure who else they've got out of their team at the moment. It looks pretty strong to me. And as you said, the the so-called dis, uh, disrespectful comment, but that the no-names we don't are fitting in beautifully. Frederick's a good player. O'Driscoll, Cox is a terrific player. You get, you get um, uh, Fife back into the side 
and don't have to rely on him, use him wing centre forward, um, they've got genuine. And so to answer your question, yes, they are a genuine top four contender playing the way they are. And before you pile on me, uh, Dockers fans, for that comment, I would say too that uh, I don't remember definitely saying this, but I, I suspect I probably said something similar about Richmond in 2017. I mean, perception often lags behind the reality and sometimes you mm. just got to watch a side that emerges from seemingly nowhere or, or you know, a far lower position. You want to see a fair bit to convince you it's not just a flash in the pan. I'm still a little bit that way with the Dockers, but hey, I stand to be convinced and I'd be happy to be convinced. It'd certainly be good to see a bit of uh, fresh blood up the top end of a ladder. And we've seen it happen a fair bit over recent years. Let's hope that trend continues. Uh, as far as next week goes, great test for the Dockers next week. They have got Geelong down at GMHBA Stadium. No venue in football harder to win at than that one. So that will test them. That one is on Saturday afternoon. The Blues, well, let's be honest, a bit easier for them. They have got on Saturday evening, North Melbourne at Marvel Stadium. Okay, so that was... Just the... a quick one, mate. Yep. Just a quick one. I think we had Fremantle 8, 9, 10. On the ladder? From, yeah, from memory. Yeah, yeah. In our, in our pre-season, we had St Kilda behind them. Yeah. We had Essendon and Carlton and Fremantle on the same line of betting from memory with St Kilda dropping off a little bit. Yeah. Is, is that how you remember it? Yeah, so, I think so. Yep. Yeah. So St Kilda, terrific. Fremantle have jumped ahead. Blues going okay. Essendon out of that group of uh, haven't really got going yet. Uh, Fair comment to say that as well. Let's talk about Sunday. First game on the Sunday card was down at Blundstone Arena in Hobart. It was North Melbourne against Geelong. And uh, the Roos in their previous uh, game at Blundstone last, late last year really made the Cats work hard for a win. Well, today they didn't because uh, they were blown out of the water. Ten goals, the margin to the Cats. And uh, the damage pretty much done by half time. And in fact, could have been done by quarter time, but for an inaccurate Geelong side, which went to the quarter time break, 3-7. Uh, the final scores. Geelong 17 19, 121, defeating North Melbourne 9 7 61. The goals, uh, Twin Towers again, uh, Jeremy Cameron in yeah. terrific form, seven goals to Jezza, four goals to Big Tom Hawkins, two to Stengel. Uh, he's certainly doing what they hoped he would do as a small forward, singles arrest for the Roos, three to Cameron Zerha and singles. The rest, well, real one-way traffic, like I said, 3-7 to 1-2 at quarter time. Uh, gee, trouble for North. You don't want to labour on it. And I did. we did make this point after they were fixed up by Brisbane that young developing sides are going to be up and down. But they're 1-5. They've lost four on the trot now. Their average losing margin this season is 53.4 points. That is a bit of a worry. Like I said, for the Cats, Cameron... And Hawkins, 11 between them. Zach Tui, 33 disposals, prolific off halfback. Cameron Guthrie, 28 disposals. Like I said, it could have been all over at quarter time. By quarter time, Rob, Geelong were 53 
disposals up. They were 12 up for contested ball at quarter time. Uh, but, of course, just couldn't convert. As soon as they found their kicking boots, so the game was all over. It was 37 points at halftime, had blown out to over 10 goals at three-quarter time. North rallying a bit in the final term with five goals. In fact, more than they'd compiled for the previous three quarters. But Geelong just in cruise control by then. Four goals to them and, uh, well... Just a routine win for the Cats and a pretty disappointing afternoon for the Roos. Yeah, considering that um, I think we've got to talk about North Melbourne as a different side this year, um, a year of development. I, You know, how long does the year of young and developing continue before you see some actual real substance? And that's a disappointing thing, you know. 10 goals, you said 53 points, so eight, six, nine, sixes, nine goal regulation average losing margin. They've got to be better than that because they're, they're in their second year. They're in their second pre-season, uh, another year under the coach. Um, their forwards, their, their back line was t- totally turned around. They pushed up the ground on the small ground. And, and North just didn't play the sweeper. I heard I heard them say it on radio, you know, North have got to play a sweeper behind Cameron and behind Hawkins. They didn't do that. They they left Zach Jebel in a forward pocket as a goal kick. He had four possessions at one stage in the game. I think he finished with 11, but it was a real opportune time to put him back into the back line to really stiffen up that side. Even after the 6-6-6 evaporates, put him back and let him assist the back line. There was no assistance there at all. And one of the reasons Cameron and Hawkins kicked 11 between them, they always had one-on-ones, Rowan. They always had one-on-ones. And I can assure you, because it's my own ground, it is a very easy ground to bottle teams up. So I gave North a great chance of getting in under the line, which I think was 26 points, similar to last year. I, I couldn't believe how they played the ground. I couldn't believe it for a team that um, actually makes that their home ground. I think what would really disappoint Roo fans is, I mean, they're realistic. You know, they know they're in a rebuild. They know there's not going to be that many wins. But it's about effort, isn't it? And that that performance oh. up at the SCG against the Swans a few weeks back, that sort of set a benchmark, didn't it? Now, that came after the Brisbane debacle. They turned that around, put in a terrific effort against the Swans and almost got up for a win. Um, And and then it's like they thought, okay, well, now we've put in that effort. That's how it's going to be every week. It doesn't just happen. You've got to make it happen. I'm just having a look at the stats now. Look, they lost the contested possession by 12 in the finish. So after being blown away on that front in the first quarter, they held their own there. But also, effort is about uh, willingness to run both ways, isn't it? Have a look at the uncontested possessions here. They have lost the uncontested possessions by 58, nearly 60. Um, that's about... that's telling, Rowan. That's yeah, more is. telling than the contested because that is desire to run. It is. It is. And uh, I would say on the similar front, marks inside 50. Uh, 17 marks inside 50 to Geelong. Now, you know, yes. One. Yes, yeah. they've got... Yeah. I mean, don't you, you work back hard. You block up the space, clearly those Geelong forwards have had too much space to work in, et cetera, et cetera. Um, tackles, you know, Geelong's had a dominance of possession and yet has won the tackle count by 16. 
I think that's Which is unusual, too. actually. That's yeah. unusual, Rowan. Mm. Usually it's the other way around. And uh, the team that's chasing and second yep. to the ball will have a larger tackle count. That's my point. So uh, I think David Noble will be looking at those indicators and thinking, gee, something's off here because, uh, okay, we're not going to win games like this because we don't have the talent or the experience, but uh, we're not giving 100% here. And I think North fans are rightly pretty uh, peed off at the lack of effort over the bulk of this season thus far. How do you see it? Well, Zach Tui has 33 possessions and between him and Stuart, like in your planning, the first thing you talk about, you go to your planning meeting and the first name, not Dangerfield, not Hawkins, not Cameron, the first name that goes on the magnet board, what are we going to do with Tom Stewart? Hmm. How are we going to handle this? And between them, they've had 18 marks. I know some of them are little dinky kicks sideways and all that sort of thing, but to have over 50 possessions and 18 marks from a couple of halfback flankers is extraordinary that North wouldn't play six on six, wouldn't make it a contest. They kept pushing blokes up to the, the midfield and, and it didn't work. They just sat off them and, and, and Zach in particular had a field day. Just a quick word on the Cats. It, it's sort of, I don't think this result says much about them one way or the other, really. I was thinking a few years back, maybe only a couple of years back, they had a bit of a tendency to drop games that they shouldn't and whiff for games that they should. I just, you know, look, I could be made to look silly by saying this without having checked first, but I've just got a feeling that these days it's sort of the other way around. They tend to dispense of the sides they should pretty efficiently and consistently uh, against the very best in the competition, though, a la last year's preliminary final. They are found wanting. They experience counts for a lot, though. They do most things right. And uh, some of the younger guys coming into that side, and uh, there was another... Another Dem one, another Dempsey. One, uh, yep, Dempsey kicked a goal. And, he's a good player. Kicked, They've found another one. Kicked a goal set up uh, by my boy, Maxie Holmes, too. So good to see two <laughs> youngsters combining. So they are blooding the kids. Uh, do we? See, I've got a feeling Geelong's going to go through this year without really being talked about much because no one seems to think they are now capable of winning a premiership. Do you think they're capable of winning a premiership? Um, I think anything's capable. It's just that sort of year we said off air when we first started. You know, what sort of weekend's this been? There's a bit of everything. I, I just think the season hasn't settled down. I rate that a very good win based on history, based on the ground, based on what the conditions could have been and and what North brought to the table last time and what they could have brought, um, meaning, the, the, as you said, that uh, that game against Sydney. Um, if you're judging North, North people, you go back to Sydney and say anything, any effort less than that, get beaten, even get beaten easily. But that's the benchmark. And anything below that is unacceptable. All right. Well, the Cats next week, as we said, uh, going to be a big game down at the Cattery Saturday yeah. afternoon against Fremantle. Great test for both sides, really. Uh, as for the Roos, well, they'll be up against it, as they will most weeks. Uh, they have got Carlton on Saturday evening at Marvel Stadium. That was the first of the Sunday games. The second was up in Queensland, and it was the Q Clash. Second game on the card on Sunday was the Q Clash. It was a Metricon Stadium, a pretty wet Metricon Stadium. It came bucketing down there. 
But uh, you wouldn't have known it by the scoreline, well, particularly the winning side score, and that was Brisbane. Big 52-point winners over the Suns and a very accurate Brisbane too. The final scores, 21-6, 132. Gee, I can kick a, a pretty decent tally, the, the Lions. Uh, Gold Coast, 11-14-80. Believe it or not, Gold Coast won the inside 50 count, 57-53. So it tells you a lot about the importance of conversion. The goals, Brisbane shared them around again and leading goal kicker, you wouldn't expect this guy to be the leading goal kicker too often, but Zach Bailey, we know he's a star. If he's not an emerging star, he's a star already. Well, he had six, half a dozen of the best to Zach Bailey, four to Charlie Cameron, three to Joe Danaher, pretty well held by Sam Collins, singles the rest, four the Suns, three to Levi Casbolt, three to Holman, singles the rest. Well, pretty efficient win this, Rob. Uh, Brisbane, five goals to two. In the first quarter, five goals up or thereabouts by halftime. Another five goals in the third term. And a uh, bit of a picnic in the last quarter with 7-2 for that massive, well, comparatively these days, massive scoreline of 21-6. Gee, they have got some... I mean, they're impressive as a side all over the park, aren't they? But, gee, I reckon the, the riches are... A st- oh, pardon the pun, because they have a Daniel Rich. He's in the back line. But the rest of their riches are uh, loaded up forward these days. They've got so many goal kickers. Today, we saw 11, again, individual goal kickers. It's pretty handy to have that many up your sleeve, isn't it? Well, we're singing from the same hymn book with a number of teams. A couple of big forwards, a multi-dimensional forward line. And uh, given the uh, very interesting stat you said, that not the domination, but the clear win... Um, in inside 50s for the Gold Coast. They've got a pattern that um, is glass half full or glass half empty. They, they do really well in clearance work. I, I think they're one of the leading teams inside 50. Um, there were 14 shots to 12 at half time and they were within a manageable 24 points. But they get four goals from... 14 scoring shots. They've either got a problem with their... They haven't got a problem with their effort. They haven't got a problem with their endeavour. They've got a problem with skill, execution, setup, and personnel, despite the fact that Nick Holman got three. And Casbolt's having a pretty reasonable year. The loss of King is significant with their delivery going in forward. They nearly tick all the boxes in all other areas, Rowan. I think it was the... I'm glad you mentioned the absence of King. I mean, we've talked about it every week, but I think it was perhaps more apparent today than almost any other game they've played. You know, I tweeted this about another game today, but it, it stands for this one too. Don't you think now most sides tick off the 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 fundamental areas reasonably well? The big difference now between the really good sides and the rest is two areas in particular, clean ball use and conversion. And Brisbane had that all over the Suns in both those areas, didn't they? Well, we also saw that in a, another game we both watched this evening that we'll, uh, we'll discuss in five or so minutes. But uh, um, and, and you're right, scoring accuracy of, uh, of the Lions today was an incredible 78% their accuracy. So they're getting the ball and getting shots in really good areas. They're not going wide. 
You said Danaher was well held, but still part of a multi-dimensional. This week it was, um, as you said, Zach Bailey. It was his turn this week. So um, Charlie Cameron back into action with four. It is absolutely right. The endeavour, apart from a couple of sides, um, the work rate, uh, the grunt work, let's call it, but it comes down to fluency, execution, and options going forward. And this is really separating. Fremantle are good at it. St Kilda are excellent at it. And this mob are very good at it. Now, I mentioned Brisbane's forward riches, but, gee, their midfield stacks up pretty well. And one guy who now makes it his annual mission to, uh, well, I won't put a delicate week, tear his old team a new one, uh, is Jared Lyons. He had another fantastic... Uh, game against Gold Coast today for Brisbane. 30 disposals. He had 13 clearances, 10 tackles, and 852 metres gained. That's <laughs> really significant, and particularly so when I think one of the knocks on him by Gold Coast was uh, a perceived failure to uh, work hard enough defensively. So it's like oh. he makes it a, a personal mission to prove that judgment wrong, and he did so again. Hugh McLuggage, good today. I'll tell you the other big uh, plus for Brisbane, and I reckon he's getting better by the game too, is the return of Cam Rayner. Uh, just cream on the cake for them now. I wonder what the knock on Will Brody will be in five years' time. Well, you know, as you know, uh, coaches occasionally get them wrong, but I'm not sure Gold Coast can I'm afford to, to get them that right. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure Gold Coast can afford to get them that wrong. Uh, look, shout out, though, having said that, to a couple of sons, uh, Noah Anderson and Matt Rowley, uh, the number one and two in the draft a couple of years back. Uh, pretty good in the midfield today. Ben Ainsworth, pretty good. I did like Sam. Sam Collins just gives 110% He's good, every isn't he? Week. Yeah. yeah. And he was, he was good on Danaher. Look, Danaher kicked, I think he kicked a goal in the first minute. But Collins had his measure for the rest of the game, really. Yeah, a couple of cheap ones late for Joe gave him three for the day. But Collins battled on hard. Disappointing performance by Gold Coast. And we did say in the preview, you know, look, they can't just give you one or two decent weeks. We need to see a runner sustained form from them. And it just seems that still uh, they let themselves down every uh, so often with a less than sparkling performance on the effort front. Today, also about conversion, 11-14. They could have had a better return from yeah. that, certainly having led the inside 50s. Uh, where do we see Brisbane? Do we do you see Brisbane as Melbourne's greatest challenge at this stage? Uh, they're one of them. They're 5-1, and one, a percentage of 142. So they've got a terrific balance. Um, where, do, where have they failed in the last two finals? They've gone out... Um, is it, is it strength? Is it defence? Physical? Um, but I, 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 we spoke about this in their preview. I've got them right in there. I've got them in the top four. And they're one win away from a preliminary final, as far as I can see it. Once you get there, then uh, then it's on for young and old. But 5-1, uh, 142%, perfectly placed. Certainly are. A uh, really good game uh, for them too next week. Uh, great hit out against Sydney. Uh, and that will be the last game of the round, 4.40pm at the SCG on Sunday. Gold Coast, they also play on Sunday. They come to Melbourne, in fact, for a game against 
the Magpies at the MCG 1-10 Sunday afternoon. So another Q clash, uh, one and run, another one won by Brisbane. That's seven straight victories for Brisbane against the Suns. And the past six have all been by more than 45 points. So Brisbane certainly have their state rivals measure at this stage of the bargain. That was the second game on Sunday. It left one game and probably the highlight of certainly of the Sunday, the now annual Anzac Day Eve clash between the MCG co-tenants, Richmond and Melbourne. Well, the reigning champs and uh, the recent reigning champs of the AFL came together on Sunday evening in a much-anticipated clash, as it always is these days. These two sides, Richmond and Melbourne, winners of four of the last five premierships. The Demons prevailed. 13 wins on the trot now. They are six and zip to start this season. Uh, They did have to work hard for it, but ultimately, I think, weight of possession won out. They certainly had major conversion issues early. In fact, at one stage in this game, it was uh, Richmond two goals three to Melbourne, two goals 11, uh, three goals 12 at halftime, but uh, cleaned up their act. Well, they're still inaccurate, actually, having said that, but cleaned up their act to at least register a few goals in a decisive third-term burst where they slammed on 5-7 to 2-1 to convert that field territory and possession dominance into scoreboard dominance. And in the end, a 22-point win to the Demons. Nine goals, 22-76. That scoreline rings a bell. I think it's North Melbourne scoreline in the draw 1977 grand <laughs> final, Rob. I don't know why that rings a bell, but it does. Uh, two. Two Richmonds, eight goals, six, 54. The goal kickers, three to Wiedemann, two to Fritch, singles the rest. Four the Tigers, two to Lynch, two to Rewalt, singles the rest. Uh, some stats. Uh, one man stood supreme on the possession front. Clayton Oliver, 41 disposals. 13 clearances, 685 metres gained. Ed Langdon, that incredibly hardworking wingman, did it again. 30 touches for him. Alex Neil Bullen, very underrated. 27 for him. 25 each to Brayshaw and Petrarca. For the Tigers, Nick Vloston, pretty good in defence. He had 30 disposals. Jaden Short, very handy with 29. Dion Prestia, midfield, in uh, weighing in with 27. But Look, Richmond led uh, for a fair part of the first half, Rob, but you always had the feeling it was just a question of if Melbourne could start kicking straight. And once they did, it was pretty much all she wrote. Well, it wasn't exactly straight 5-7 in third quarter and with a margin of only, uh, what was it, 22 points. You would think that would, well, you don't have to think. Uh, Once again, a Melbourne burst of, I think it was four unanswered plus five for the quarter against two goals certainly uh, put the gap in. The Tigers were okay. They're very efficient Tigers early in the second quarter. um, The dominance of Melbourne, 17 entries, only saw them kick one goal six, where Richmond got 3-1. Those last three goals had got their nose ahead at halftime from only eight inside 50s. So a little bit of efficiency, but as you said, Rowan, a lot of wastage. And uh, in the end, it was 31 shots to 14. 
What about their uh, their incredible capacity to just flick a switch in the third quarter? We saw it most memorably in the grand final last year. We saw it in the preliminary final as well. But they did it again this evening. And I took special note of the stats at three-quarter time. And here are the third-quarter stats. Yeah. Inside 50s, 21-7. to seven. Well, Clearances, 8-6. to six. Contested possession, 38-23. to 23. So plus 15 contested possession. What about converting that contested possession to the outside and to scoring opportunities? They won the uncontested ball in the third quarter by 42, 88 to 46, oh. the uncontested ball. And the result on the scoreboard, 5-7 to 2-1. As you said, 5-7, uh, good enough, but it could have been even more dominance. And you never really felt after that that Richmond had even the slightest of chances of mounting a winning surge in that last quarter. Once Melbourne took the game by the scruff of the neck, they are an incredible centre bounce team, incredible clearance team, incredible contested ball team. I wonder if it once happens when someone matches them in this surging. I wonder what, what their mindset will be. They've got ultimate confidence in each other. They got the capacity to lift, which all great sides have got, and they finish it on the scoreboard. Um, one day someone's going to match them, and uh, I, I don't know when or who. I gave the Tigers a bit of a chance tonight. Um, <clears throat> but um, looking at the game, a couple of uh, Tarrant, Wiedemann, Wiedemann, Brown, like they dropped McDonald, didn't they? So they're, they're, they're going with the two traditional full forwards, with both Brown and Wiedemann being asked to play up the ground a bit to share that role. Uh, Vloston and Fritsch was a really good battle. Vlosten was on top and one of the best players on the ground. And then Fritsch, two quick goals, didn't he, Rowan? He just went bang, yep. bang. So he has a capacity to influence the scoreboard quickly. Um, <clears throat> what else we have? And, of course, the two Warriors, uh, they had a real crack at each other tonight, Nankervis and Gorn. You know, I look at Richmond. We know Richmond's not what they were. Um, injuries have had a bit to do with it, but it, it's the ravages of time too, isn't it? And looking at the two midfields head-to-head, uh, Prestia really a bit of a lone hand in midfield tonight, wasn't he? I mean, Koch I and Graham try, Graham worked really hard. Yeah. Edwards had a bad one. Bolton didn't influence What about Cochin? I think he went all right, didn't he? Yeah, I think he worked hard. But yeah. are we expecting a 32-year-old to lift him and carry him? Well, this is my point. I, I don't think the Richmond of 2022 is capable of challenging the very best teams now unless you've got Cochin at 100%, unless you've got Dustin Martin in the mix. And, yes, thank God, it looks like he's going to be in that yeah. mix. So, and the one who no one seems to talk about, aside from the Tigers, but he's crucial to them, Kane Lambert. Are all those guys need to be on deck for Richmond to have a chance against the Melbournes of the competition. And is that why we picked them to bounce back this year and to be a near certainty for the top eight, the top six? Yeah, well, it was for me. I mean, I, I, uh, I, you, me you, you're counting on long-term injured players to come back. But look, I wrote about this a few weeks back with regards to West Coast. So you spend a couple of years saying, oh, yeah, they've had injuries, they've had injuries, they'll come back. And then the guys come back, but those couple of years missing years have just made that amount of difference in terms of the natural deterioration of the whole lineup. And they're not what they were. You compare Richmond now 
to Richmond that won the 2020 flag, they're, they're poles apart. They are. There's no doubt about that. Melbourne have certainly taken a leaf out of their book and even added another dimension of physicality. They've both got, they both had as, as their trademark that immense forward pressure and the ability to intercept. I think Richmond were uh, maybe even a more talented, skillful side than Melbourne. But I think Melbourne, this Melbourne, have got an edge in physicality. Yeah. So, uh, I, you know what? I, I, I'm not sort of having a debate about it, but I, no. I, I just think Melbourne's skill level might actually be a bit more than what the Tigers were even at their best. Gee, they've got some such clean users of the footy, Melbourne. Very confident. That's confidence. Yeah. And the belief in the... The belief in players up the field, they they really do honour leads. Interesting uh, observation made by Nathan Jones tonight too, who he, he said, uh, big call. He said he thought Harrison Petty could now be Melbourne's most important defender. And he said even over the back half of last year, uh, his ability now to not only negate one-on-one, but to zone off and become an intercept defender so you put him alongside may and lever who can already do that and uh, statistically their defense is actually performing better at the moment than it was even last year um you know you got a forward set up with weedeman now having come back and kicking some goals brown's there couldn't even find room for mcdonald you got the smaller goal kickers you got the midfield on fire i mean look as as we said it only takes one stumble and all the best laid plans but uh, i tell you what if we had a an English uh, Premier League system. Uh, you just about be declaring the Premiership uh, one and run at this stage, wouldn't you? Because they are, for me, they are significantly ahead of even the next best team well, in it. And and the interesting look, the the game that I would like to see, and you can't get a neutral venue. It'll either be the MCG or in um, Perth. Uh, you know, in a couple of weeks, I'd like to see a Fremantle Melbourne game. Mm. I'd just like to check that off, but obviously Fremantle have to get past Geelong at uh, at Cadinia uh, Park this weekend, which will be an absorbing game. Certainly will. Uh, well, let's talk about what these two sides have on the agenda. Richmond will be going to Perth to take on West Coast. That game is on Friday night. Uh, the Demons have a Saturday twilight fixture at the MCG against the Hawks. And that is it for... Most of the Anzac Day round, of course, yep. two big games on Anzac Day Monday. We're recording this on Sunday night. They are, of course, Hawthorne taking on Sydney in Launceston. Your and, tip? What uh, is your tip? Sydney. I can't remember the margin, but it's there on the midweek one. Right. Uh, you, you are going for the Swans as well. Yes. Uh, Collingwood, uh, SNV Collingwood. I think we're both going for the Magpies. Did you know that you, one? What if Merritt Stringer? Uh, I wouldn't expect them to have a huge impact. Um, Okay. You know, look, I'd I'd like to be wrong, but uh, I don't think I will be. I don't think we will be. No. Thanks, mate. Got to go with the magpies. All right, that is it. See you Wednesday morning. Well, hang on. We haven't done the sign-offs yet. I know you're keen to get to I have. (laughs) You you have, but you're going to hang on while I do the plug. This this podcast, always proudly brought to you by Palmer Bet. Get tackle-busting benefits this AFL season. Thanks to Palmerbet. Always remember to gamble responsibly. You can support our podcast at the ACAST supporter page on whatever platform you are listening to this podcast or become an official Footyology patron via the many Patreon links 
at the wonderful and uh, outstandingly independent and unagenda-driven footyology website. A lot of great reading there, not just footy. We've got social commentary. We've got politics. We've got arts. We've got music. We've got movies. You name it, we've got it. Check it out. And, of course, you can find this podcast there too. Uh, we'll be back midweek to not only preview round seven, but sign off on round six with those two big Anzac Day games. Uh, have a great uh, public holiday, everyone. Important occasion, of course, remembering uh, our war veterans and those who gave for their country. So keep that in mind as well. But always a great day of footy. Enjoy it. And uh, we'll catch you later on. Listener.